Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. How do you like a uh, week after Easter having ice all over your vehicle <laughs> on Sunday morning? I didn't know it was going to be like that. I knew there was a chance of it. And uh, I drive all the way here, and I would think my hood would warm up enough to get the ice you know, melted, and, and it didn't. There's still ice frozen there. Uh, maybe it's an illustration for today. Maybe we've got some icy spots on our souls. Uh, maybe we have some, uh, some icy places that need to be... Uh, thought out for us to really answer this call of discipleship. So we're starting a series today that's going to be at least four-part series. Um, Next week, we won't necessarily be on that topic. Next week, the the staff uh, will be doing the retreat that you guys tried to send us on back in the fall, but we couldn't work it out in our schedules. Uh, So we will be doing that uh, next week. Uh, on, uh, uh, thir- on, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you pray for us as we go away as a staff and we try and plan and look into the future and, uh, and hopefully have some fun together uh, also. Uh, we're going to have a kind of a lay-led uh, Sunday next week. Now, I'm going to tell you up front, that doesn't mean stay away. If I find out that you stay away, I'm going to fuss the next week when I'm back uh, because there will be some important stuff taking place uh, next, next week. Um, <clears throat> I've been haunted about some things uh, for months now. And um, the, the reason I've been haunted about some things for months is as I think about the, uh, the lostness of our nation, as uh, I think about the, uh, the, the lostness even in North Carolina, um, right now there are currently around 5.8 million unreached people in North Carolina. Do you feel okay with that? Are you comfortable with that figure at all? We've talked about this some before in a three-mile radius here in Granite Falls, starting up near the lumber company, going out a three-mile radius, 68% in that three-mile radius in Granite Falls are unreached. But the overall statistics say we live in an area that is somewhat traditional when it comes to questions about uh, God, what they're supposed to believe about God and Jesus and the Bible or, or social and, and moral issues. But then when I think about that somewhat traditional title and I see how those same people responded to some specific questions, I'm, I'm haunted by what they say. Look at some of these statistics, <clears throat> some of these responses. Everyone and everything is God. 47.1% disagree. And by the way, this is the three-mile radius I'm talking about. This is our backyard. This is the stats from our backyard. 28.6% agree that everyone and everything's God. God is a higher state of consciousness that people may achieve. 34.8% disagree, but notice this, 35.5% in our backyard agree with that statement. That that God is some type of human consciousness that we can attain. God is a full realization of human potential. 23.7% disagree, but 47% in our backyard agree with that statement. 
I believe in nature or spirits in nature. 28.6% disagree, while 43.7% people agree. Once again, Granite Falls stats. Look at the next few. I have a personal relationship with the one living God who is Lord and Savior. 15.3% people disagree with that statement. 71.9% people agree that that's true, that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But when we look at these other responses that I'm talking about, it makes me wonder, do they really know Jesus? Jesus is not like his followers in the church. I I think we could probably all agree with that. But it says 25.2% agree, 38% people disagree. But one thing that stat tells me is this. We're not acting enough like Jesus. And then on some social moral issues, abortion should remain legal. 33.2% people in our backyard disagree with that, while 49.7% agree with it. The last style which you see, religious communities should fully embrace. Notice fully embrace is underlined. Fully embrace doesn't mean we welcome someone in and we love on them and we try and share the gospel. Fully embrace means we pat them on the back and we say, what you're doing is okay. So they believe that religious communities should fully embrace LGBT persons. 34.5% disagree while 39% people agree. Our backyard. So those statistics haunt me just a little bit. They they bother me just a little bit. I'm haunted by those statistics. But the reason I'm haunted by those statistics is not them. Uh, The reason I'm haunted by those statistics is, is, is that there's a foundational issue here. And the foundational issue is this. We are not producing disciples. We, we might be producing church members. <laughs> we might be having baptisms every now and then. But the Great Commission calls us to produce disciples, to make disciples of all men. It doesn't say to make church members of all men. And if we as the church, and I'm not just talking about day three church, since we focused on the stats in our backyard here in this pocket of lawlessness, I'm talking about all the churches in the Grand Falls area. If we were doing a sufficient job reaching people for Jesus and discipling them, you wouldn't see those types of responses in a survey. So the reason I'm haunted is not because of them. The reason I'm haunted is that we fail to produce disciples. Especially we fail to produce disciples who make disciples. We're not just supposed to turn you into a disciple. You're supposed to be a disciple who turns around and produces someone else, makes someone else into a disciple, and in turn, that person goes and turns somebody else into a disciple. So, so that's why I'm, I'm haunted, and that's really what this series is about. See, we've got to change this in our churches or America's down the tubes. We've got to change this in our local churches or we're not going to change a pocket of lostness. We have to change it to where our churches become disciple producing and disciple reproducing churches. And that's what we're going to talk about for a few weeks. Today we need to understand being disciples of Christ involves accepting his invitation to follow him. And that also means this. 
It means we need to leave behind some things in order to really follow him. I recognize the title of today's message, the, the, the leave the ship of discipleship is an invitation. Brandy called me after I sent that to her. She said, I don't understand the title. And, and I kind of went over it uh, with her some. And I said, just don't say it five or ten times in a row really, really fast. You might say something you didn't mean to say. But, but the point of it is this. Jesus gives an invitation to his disciples. We're going to look at that, a sampling of some of his disciples today in this message. He gives them an invitation to leave behind some things and follow him. And the same invitation is for us in this day and time. The same invitation is for every member of Day 3 Church. He, he doesn't call us just to know we've trusted him and we know we're on our way to heaven and to fill a seat in a church pew every now and then. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to be disciples. He calls us to make disciples. And I think we need a wake-up call. All of our churches are where we need to recognize we need to make disciples. We need to leave some things behind. Matter of fact, guys, we'll have to. Because you and I do not have the time to be disciples and produce disciples in, 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 in other people's lives, to help them become disciples. We don't have the time if we keep allowing everything else to invade our lives and be more important than being a disciple and making a disciple. That's why we're going to have to leave some things behind. So today I want us to notice three main thoughts about discipleship. And I'm going to have to hurry. We got out kind of late today, uh, this morning. The first thought is this. Jesus gives an invitation to follow him. He gives an invitation to follow him. He doesn't just give an invitation to go to heaven. <laughs> He doesn't just give an invitation to know that, that, that you're saved, that your sins are given. He gives an invitation to follow him. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And I jump on down to verse 21, there, chapter 4. And then we're going to be in, in, in chapter 9 of Matthew here in just a moment. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. The, the word that's used for follow in this instance is an imperative form. It's not like he's just kind of, well, come on if you want to. He's given a really strong invitation in imperative form. He's saying, come hither. I want you to come and, and follow me. And the phrase also means this. It was a compound word. It means this, to go in the direction that I'm going. And it literally means, the root word means this, to come to the back. Now, all that's very logical, you'll think about it. If I'm going to go in the direction someone's going, I have to get behind them so I know which way they're going. For you and I as disciples of Christ, we need to fall in behind Jesus. Look at the example of Jesus. Look at the life of Jesus. And you and I need to fall in behind so we can, can look at the life of Jesus. And we go the same way that Jesus goes. We're following him day in and day out in, in our lives. Matthew was called, a tax collector was called to follow Jesus in Matthew 9, 9. 
As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. We'll talk about more that more in a few minutes. And he said to him, follow me. And the phrase that's translated there in the, in the Greek means this. It means union at a road. It's a compound road, uh, word. You're being united with somebody on a road. You're going in the same way with that person. You're accompanying that person. That means especially was used to refer to a disciple. So that's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls you and I to be in union with him on the road of life. He calls upon us to accompany him, to be in the same way with him as we live our lives, as we make our choices, as we make our, our decisions in, in life. So I want you to notice three things, Kylie, about, about this thought, about Jesus giving us an invitation to follow him. There's some implications I think maybe we need to draw from the disciples that Jesus invited to follow him. Some implications we can draw. First of all, some implications from who these disciples were. And by that, I'm talking about their, their names and a little bit about who, who they were and their character. He, he calls Simon Peter. And we're not looking at all the disciples. I'm just giving you a sample in today. But he calls Simon Peter. And, and the word for, for Simon uh, meant hearing. And then Peter, of course, most of you know this, it meant a, a piece of a rock. Jesus is the foundation stone. Jesus is the rock. But Peter is a piece of the rock. And you and I need to view ourselves like that. Hey, if we're going to be disciples, guess what we need to do at a very foundational level? We need to hear Jesus. We, we need just to listen to him and hear what he's saying. And then we need to view ourselves as a piece of the rock. <laughs> Jesus is the rock, but you and I need to be a piece of the rock. We need to be a, a, a chip off the block, so to speak. We, we need to act and function like him. Andrew means manly. And the reason I want to draw some implications from that, because we live in a culture today that seems like it is trying to rob manhood out of the midst of our culture. Men, we shouldn't have to apologize for being men. Amen? Don't go at it with the wrong way either. <laughs> you know, don't be looking down on the, on the ladies and things like that. But we shouldn't have to apologize for being men. And I don't think the ladies wrestle with this as much as the men do, but a lot of times we start thinking about Bible things and being a disciple and being like Jesus wants us to be and things like that. And we kind of start feeling like, well, maybe that's not manly. I would suggest to you the most manly thing that you can do in your life is follow Jesus. The most manly thing that, that we can do as disciples is to be exactly that, to be a disciple who produces disciples. You're not a wimp because you're following Jesus. James is a Greek form of the Hebrew word Jacob. Of course, Jacob was a subplanter. He was a hill catcher. The, the root word for Jacob meant to swell up or out. He was kind of prideful. If you look at Jacob's life, you'd understand that. Maybe an implication from James being kind of named after Jacob would be this for us. In spite of who we are, in spite of our stinking prideful natures, he still wants us to trust in him and follow him, to follow Jesus. John means Jehovah favored. And we are Jehovah favored. If you know Christ as your Savior, you've received the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. We are Jehovah favored. And because we are Jehovah favored, that ought to prompt us all the more to want to be disciples. Matthew means gift of God. So just maybe when Matthew was born, his parents 
thought, well, you're a gift of God, although he's also called Levi. But Matthew did definitely receive a great great gift of God the day Jesus walked by the tax collector table and he said, will you come and follow me? And we need to think about that ourselves. What a grand opportunity it is for Jesus to give us the invitation to go in the same way with him. To fall in behind him. To be on the same road with him. To be in union on the road of life with him. What a great opportunity it is. A great gift of God it is for Jesus to have come our way and called us. There's some implications based upon who, who they were. But also there's some implications here I think we can draw based upon what they did, what these disciples did, their vocation and their lifestyle. Some of these that we're looking at today were fishermen. And that's what they were doing. They were out there casting a net in the sea for they were fishermen. They, the, the other two were in a boat with their dad and they were there mending their nets. You see, a, a fisherman, you need to recognize the culture of that type of lifestyle. If they're going to live, if they're going to survive, guess what they have to do all the time? They have to be very diligent. Going out and casting their nets, going out in their boat, working day in and day out. They had to be very diligent. They, they had to have some knowledge and know a little bit about how to catch fish. They, they had to keep their, their, their supplies ready, their boats prepared. They had to keep their nets mended in order to catch fish. You see, the truth of it is this. Nets with holes don't catch many fish. And, and the application for us is this. We need to be aware of our nets. The nets we're casting trying to catch people for Jesus. If you've got holes in your net, you're not going to catch many people. We need to be willing to adjust our nets, adjust our styles, adjust the way we approach people. We need to be willing to adjust our gospel nets so we don't have holes in our gospel nets. As we try and engage our culture and people around us, we need to be willing to make some adjustments there. To where we can reach out to people, we can attract people, we can catch people, we, we, we can reach out to them and act like, like fishermen, to be fishermen, because that's what he's called us to do, to be, to be fishermen. One of these we're looking at today was a tax collector. I'm waiting to see if I get any really negative responses. You just filed your taxes. I didn't used to hate it so bad when I still had kids at home. If you got a refund, you got it because I paid money in this year. <laughs> kids are grown. Don't get anything back anymore. I, you know, it's hard for me to stay very spiritual when I do my taxes. Well, hey, in that day and time, the tax collectors were hated even worse. Because they were working for the Roman government. They were considered as traitors. That's who Matthew would have been looked at by, by his own people, the Jews. You're a traitor because you're working for the Roman government. They were also viewed as thieves because they would charge extra and they would get to keep the surplus. As long as Rome got their part of it, Rome was happy. So many tax collectors would charge extra on the people that they were, that came to pay their taxes so they could pocket it themselves. So they were considered thieves. 
And religiously, they were considered unclean because they worked for the Roman government. So what we have a picture of in this calling of Matthew to be a disciple is this. We have a wonderful picture of the grace of God because the culture, the religious culture of that day would have looked down on Matthew, been done with Matthew, wouldn't want Matthew around. You're a traitor. You don't even be considered part of Israel, part of, of, of us. It was the way they would have viewed it. You see, God had a different plan. Thank God for grace, Amen. Thank God, even though our culture may look down upon us, God can respond to us in grace. Thank God, even though we may be religiously unclean, God can respond to us in grace. God can come by and give us a gracious invitation to follow him. We see a grand picture of grace in this calling of Matthew. Matthew is the only gospel writer to use the word church in his writings. And the word church literally means called out ones or a called out assembly. And the only way you and I can be called out ones is by the grace of God. I'm not called out and you're not called out because of who you are and your abilities and your ingenuity or your goodness or anything like that at all. The only way we're part of the church, the only way we're the called out ones is because of the amazing grace of God that God offers us in Christ. We ought to be ever so thankful of the grace of God. And being thankful means more, I think, than just saying thank you, Jesus. It means we live for him. It means we engage in this thing called discipleship. Because Jesus has given us an invitation to literally follow him to be called out once. Now, that's just some implications. I want you to notice the importance of the invitation to follow Jesus. The importance of the invitation to follow Jesus. <clears throat> Matthew four nineteen. Then he said to them, these that are there at the ship, these that are, are there, men in their nets. By the way, these had already met Jesus. I failed to say that earlier. This isn't the first encounter that Jesus has with them. They had already met him. They already had evidence that he was the Messiah. They had already believed he's a Messiah. They were already telling other people he's the Messiah, but they had gone back to their boats, men to their nests, gone back to fishing. Now Jesus totally interrupts their life. And he goes to where they are, men in their boats, men in their nets, preparing their boats, going out to fish. He goes by their life and he totally kind of rocks their world and radically changes their life. And he, and he tells them, I want you to do this. I want you to follow me. All the words we looked at earlier about follow me, being the same way with, be on the road with. He said, I want you to follow me. And then Jesus says this, I will make you. He's going to make them into something. I will make you fishers of men. He he calls them to leave some things behind. He, He calls them to a total change, a radical change in their life. He tells them to stop mending those nets. He, he tells them to, to, to leave behind those ships. And that's why I call this message the leave the ship of discipleship. He, he's letting them know there's going to be a new purpose in their lives because they trusted in him and they're to follow him. And the new purpose, instead of fishing for fish, their new purpose is to fish for men's souls, to fish for men's lives, to fish and make more disciples is what Jesus is calling them 
to do. He's going to make them fishers of men. That phrase for make means to make do in a very wide application, but it also means more or less direct. In other words, Jesus, as much as they will let him, in a very direct way, Jesus is going to make them into something. He still wants to do that for our lives. He wants to, in a very direct way, change our lives. He wants to call us to leave behind being so distracted by the ships of this world, the ships of our life, all the, the, the hobbies and everything that we may allow to invade our lives so much to the degree we don't have time to be disciples or make disciples. Jesus wants to invade our lives from those things and make us into something. He wants to make us into fishers of men. Word literally meant a sailor, a fish of the root where it means salt. He said, I want you to fish for human beings. The Bible tells us that we're to be fishers of men. The Bible says that we're to be salt also. We're to be light also in this world in which we live in. You see, being a fisher of men was not just a call for these disciples that were there by their boats. Being a fisher of men is still the call of discipleship. It's still the expectation that God has. It's still what is required for us to be followers of Jesus. Not just someone that said, I trusted in him. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm going to sit down and wait for that day until I go to heaven. That's not what Jesus called you to. Jesus called you to be a follower of him. He called you to be a disciple and to make disciples. Jesus wants us to leave some things behind, to realize as followers of Christ, we have some more important things to do than just our daily worldly pursuits. We've allowed our busyness in life, our busyness with worldly pursuits to invade our lives, even as believers, to the degree that I don't have time to read the Bible, some people think. I don't have time to pray. I surely don't have time to meet with somebody and try to disciple them. I can't even find time for someone to disciple me because we've allowed our lives to be so invaded by worldly pursuits. And that's what we're going to have to get over if we're going to be real disciples of Christ and follow him. To where we will spend time following him. There's more important things. You may not like this. Hey, I don't like it. But I'm just trying to be honest with and tell us the truth. If we want to change our world, we want to change our culture, if we want to change our churches, we want to affect the stats I read earlier for you, it's going to require us doing some things. It's going to require us leaving behind our ships for his purposes, for his call to follow him. We're going to have to leave behind maybe some of our hobbies some other things that invade our life if we're really going to follow him. Jesus gives us a supremely important call to follow him and allow him to make us into fishers of men for us to be spreading out his gospel net. We see an immediate example of that in the life of Matthew. A few moments ago, I read to you where Jesus came by that tax collector's table and he told Matthew, I want you to follow me. And just a little later, here's what we find. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, by the way, he was at Matthew's house. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. 
And when the Pharisees, the religious crowd saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and I sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. To start with, you can't call the righteous. You can't call the self-righteous because they don't feel like they need anything. They don't recognize they have a problem. They don't recognize they need to trust in Jesus or follow him. But I want you to see what happened so quick in the life of Matthew. Jesus comes by. He calls him to that tax collector table. The next picture we have is this. Matthew has gone and he's invited some of his sinner friends. Some of the other tax collectors. He, he's invited some of them to come and meet Jesus. And that's the exact same pattern that God wants us to follow. Jesus calls us to follow him, and then we're to, as soon as we can, start trying to invite other people to Jesus. And it might be dirty, and it might make some time, take some time, and, and, and it might be frustrating in your life, but we need to follow the same example we see here, and the same example that Jesus set. Jesus was sitting down and hanging out with tax collectors and with sinners, and the religious crowd shot at him about it. But that's the exact thing Jesus came to do, and that's the exact thing Jesus wants you and I to do. We need to be building relationships with people. Not people that are like us, not people that already know Jesus necessarily. Yes, we're to fellowship together, but we're to go much deeper than that. We're to be making relationships and fellowships with people who need Jesus Christ. And we're to hang out with them and do life with them so we can get them to trust in the same Jesus that we've trusted in. So we can disciple them to believe the things that we know they need to be taught and believe so they can in turn reach other people. And you have this snowballing effect that can begin to help eradicate things like this pocket of lostness in Granite Falls and transform the focus of our, of our, of our churches. You see, being a disciple of Christ is much more than trusting in Jesus, being baptized, and filling a chair in church on Sunday every now and then, or even every week. That still doesn't get it, guys. That's not being a disciple. That, that's not being a follower of Jesus. Another thing I want you to get about this call that Jesus gives, this invitation that Jesus gives to follow him, is the immediacy. The immediacy of the disciples in following Jesus. Jesus came by and he said, I want you to quit what you're doing, leave your ship behind, even leave your father behind. Did you notice that in the story? Zebedee, leave your father behind. Leave those nets behind. And I want you to come and follow me. Here's what they did. Here's their response to the invitation of Jesus. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw the two other brothers that we already read about a moment ago. They're there in the boat with their brother, with, with their father, others, ABD, men in their nets. And he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed immediately they left the boat and their father and followed i thought that was worthy reading twice because that's what they 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 did they immediately left 
their boat and they followed him. What does all that mean? Well, just quickly, here's what it means. Immediately means directly at once. It means straight, level, true at once. So they're, they're being true with their lives. They're, they're responding as quick as they possibly can to this invitation to, to follow Jesus. Immediately they, they left their nets. The, the phrase in the Greek literally says this, to send forth their nets. I love the way that, that that puts it because it's like this. Hey, yeah, there's things I've been involved with, but it's not as important as what Jesus has called me to. So I'm going to take these things and I'm going to send them forth. Because it's much more important for me to engage, be engaged over here and being a disciple and making disciples than it is for, for me to, to keep messing with these things. So I'm going to send them forth. They followed him. They got on union with the same road, same definition we saw earlier. The second two fishermen, he came along. They, they left their boat directly at once, immediately. They, they left that, that vessel, whatever vessel it is, whatever boat it is in your life that's keeping you from following Jesus, you need to be willing to walk away from that and leave that. They even left their father. Jesus, with that apology, calls us, and we'll see that more clearly in just a moment, calls us to love him more than even family. More than even our father, our mothers, our children. And then they go in the same way, on the same road, to accompany Jesus. That's the immediacy of their response. And I just think God has the same desire for us. This might not be fun, but I want to point out something to you. Jesus was walking by as someone they had met Someone they had evidence that is the Messiah. Jesus was walking by as a good teacher. And Jesus says, follow me. And they're willing to leave everything to follow him. We live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of him having sacrificed his life and shed his blood and suffered for us. And paid for our sins and took his life back up. We live on the other side of that. If those disciples would immediately follow him just because of the evidence that they had, how much more should we immediately follow Jesus? Because of the evidence that we have. Of what he has done for us. Matthew responded the same way. He said he rose and followed him. He, he stood up and he followed him. Same definition, followed him. Union on the same road with him, the same way with. I want to point out to you a difference here. Because someone might be thinking, well, yeah, those fishermen, they, well, well, sure, they, they could leave their stinking fish and their stinking boat and having a mess with those nets, men in those nets. Sure, let, let's go follow Jesus. Matthew left a very, very, very lucrative position. Putting that extra money in his pocket as he collected taxes for the Roman Empire. He, he left a very, very important career. So don't look at it just like, oh, well, those are just fishermen that, you know, they decided, yeah, we'll follow Jesus. Hey, Ma- Matthew was becoming a very, very, very rich man. He decided it's more important for me to follow Jesus than it is for me to keep doing what I'm doing. More important for us to follow Jesus than it is for us to just keep doing what we're doing do you see the importance in the immediacy of the discipleship 
you see why I'm starting in this series talking to you about leaving a ship? Leaving the ship of, of, of discipleship? Because we're also to do the same thing. We're to immediately accept the invitation to follow Jesus. We're to be in union with Jesus on the road of life. We're to be in the same way with Jesus. We're to accompany Jesus. We're to forsake the ships of our lives and, and even put following Jesus before family and follow him, follow Christ. To help you really understand what follow means, the follow actually means something like this. It means to accept Jesus as authority over your life. And it means to pursue his calling upon your life. And it means to model your life after his example. That's what it means to be a disciple. I want you to notice two other things quickly, because like I said, we've got a little bit of a late start, so I'll need to kind of buzz through these. Following Jesus must be a priority. We saw kind of a picture of that and them leaving their ships, leaving their nets, leaving the father in the boat. But here's another picture of following Jesus being a priority. Now, when Jesus saw a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus wanted him to be sure he understood the cost of following him. Jesus' response to him is this. And Christ said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Freeze frame that just for a minute. Keep that slide there, guys. I'll keep reading in just a moment. We in America, especially, have made following Jesus something that's just so attractive and so easy. When Jesus clearly says there's a cost to following me. It's not going to be easy. I don't have the same kind of home you have as what Jesus is saying to this scribe. Even the animals have better places to stay than I have. And and yet, Jesus changed the whole world. And you and I need to recognize that in our lives, guys, Jesus didn't save you just so you could come to church on Sunday. Jesus didn't save you just so you can go to a small group Bible study. Jesus didn't save you just so you can go to a Christian concert. Jesus saved you so you can be in the way with him, in the road with him, behind him, following him, being a disciple of him. And there's a cost to it. It may cost you whatever you love to do with that hobby, that vocation, in order for you to more answer the call of being a disciple and to make disciples of others. But there's a cost to it. We, we need to be willing. If, we, if we're not happy with 5.8 million lost people in North Carolina, if we're not happy with 68% in a three-mile radius in Granite Falls being unreached, if we're not happy with that... Surely that ought to become more important in our lives than our hobby. Or what other ship it is is keeping you from being a disciple and keeping you from making disciples. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. By the way, a lot of Bible scholars feel like the father wasn't even dead yet. By the way, this is phrased. 
He just said, I got the responsibility to care for my dad. I'll come follow you later. And, and, and they're thinking maybe the father wasn't even dead. Yeah, let me first go and bury my father. Even if he was dead, I want you to notice the response of Jesus. Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow. Was Jesus trying to be insensitive to this young man? No. I want to remind you, Jesus knew the heart and the intentions of the guy to start with. But Jesus, without apology, says, following me is more important than burying your father. He's more or less saying this, leave the dead to bury the dead, follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. We've got enough deadness in this world to take care of the deadness. We don't need to involve ourselves with more deadness. We need to involve ourselves with more life. We need to involve ourselves more with following after Jesus. Last thing, real quickly. Following Jesus involves giving your life away. Following Jesus involves giving your life away. Matthew 10, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Does that phrase haunt you a little bit, is not worthy of me? See, if you want to live a worthy life, living a worthy life is following Jesus. Living a worthy life is being willing to take up a a cross, a burden for him, for Jesus and following him. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The word life is a Greek word that means the soul, but they, they looked at it in this way. The Greek looked at it as the total person. I mean, it's your total personality. It's all your dreams, hopes, goals. It's all you are. So Jesus is saying, take all that you are. And you need to be willing to follow me. Take all that you are. And you need to be willing to lose that, all that you are, all of your purposes, all of your goals in life for his sake. And follow him. Luke added an important word in. And he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. What's the word? (laughs) Daily. So I felt like we were compelled to look at this word daily. And here's why. The way it was phrased over in Matthew, we could kind of just generically say, oh yeah, I'll take up my cross and follow you every now and then. When it's convenient to me. But Luke added in with divine inspiration also this word, to take up your cross daily and follow him. That, That means to confess Christ and obey him in spite of shame and suffering. It means to to die daily to live in your life for yourself. 
Well, sometimes people say, use this phrase, well, well, you know, this thing in my life, this frustration in my life, or whatever it might be, this sickness in my life, it, it's just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about our willingness to follow him, our willingness to be a disciple, our willingness to go in the same way with him, to answer the call of discipleship, our willingness to take up the burden of discipleship, the burden of Jesus, the burden of the gospel, the burden of the cross, us to take that burden up and follow him. That's what Jesus is talking about. In the day Jesus said this, there was no mistake in what it meant because in the day Jesus said that, it meant a death was going to take place. It was talking about an execution taking place. So the way for us to apply that to our lives is this. There may be some things in our lives we need to kill in order to follow Jesus. There may be some things in our lives we need to execute in order to really follow Jesus. And it may cost you your life. Literally, it could. There are places in this world you can die for following Jesus. If we don't turn America around, we're going to become that place. And it's not the politician's fault, it's our fault. Judgment must begin where? The house of God. It's our fault for not being the disciples and making disciples as we should. So you could lose your life. But I don't think that's the most important thing here that Jesus is addressing. The most important thing is this. We need to lose the purpose of our life, the goals of our life, for the purpose and the goals that Jesus has for us. We need to die to self and live to him. Jesus really, guys, to be honest with you, Jesus only kind of gives us, gives us two Two, two options, two alternatives. Jesus presents us with these two alternatives. Spare your life or sacrifice your life. That's the two options he gives us. Spare your life or sacrifice your life. Our problem is we're too busy finding our lives instead of his life. We live in a culture where people think, it means if you're bearing the cross, if you're carrying the cross for Jesus, you've got a cross hung around your neck or you've got a Christian sticker on the back of your car. That's not even remotely close to what it means to follow Jesus. It means we sacrifice what we want for what he wants. Where they can either spare your life or sacrifice your life. There's no middle ground. If we protect our own interests, if that's all we're about, if we're protecting our own interests, we're going to have loss in our lives. But if we're protecting the interests of Jesus, we're going to have gain in our lives. Do you see the difference? We need to find our purposes in His purposes. Well, if I lose my life for him, hey, if you could literally die a death of martyrdom, I I would submit to you guys that might be the easier thing to do than what Jesus is really calling you to here. Because in a hot flash emotional moment, you can say, I'll die for Jesus, be killed and to be over with. The harder thing to do, taking up your cross daily. 
setting aside your life for his life daily. Setting aside your goals and your purposes and everything for your life, your dreams for your life, for his dreams, for his goals, for his purposes. That's the much harder thing to do. And that's what he calls us to. That's what he calls us to do. Christ demands loyalty over every part of our lives. He gives an invitation to follow him. The invitation to follow him is very, very important. He wants to make us fishers of men. The invitation he gives us to follow him demands our immediate response. We need to recognize the priority of it, how important it is. It comes before family or anything else is following Jesus. We need to we need to recognize that we need to be willing to give our lives away for the gospel. Jesus died for me. He died for you. Surely we can make a choice, a decision to live for him, to be a disciple and to make disciples. I found a quote this week by Harry Ironside. Probably most of you don't know who he is. Some of us older folks do, I guess. He said, mere outward correctness and attention to forms and ceremonies will not do. Let me make it really simple. This will not do. (laughs) Dressing up, coming to church, carrying your Bible, whether you do it weekly or whatever, that, that, that won't do. God must have reality. Reality in our lives. Reality being disciples. Reality making disciples of others. Reality in leaving the ship and following him. Father, Father, we pray that you'd help us this morning to be honest with ourselves and honest with you and admit, Lord, that we've not done a very good job at being disciples or making disciples. Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you'd search our hearts this morning. And Father, as you search our hearts, God, I, God, I pray you'd, you'd help us to see the areas that we need to leave behind in order to better follow you. God, give us the ability to, to turn and walk away from some things, to send some things away from our lives so we can really focus on being disciples, so we can focus on making disciples. God, I pray that you do something in Day 3 Church to make Day 3 Church a disciple-making, disciple-reproducing church. Father, I pray if it's the last thing I do in my life as pastor of Day 3 Church, that somehow we can transform this church into being a disciple-making, disciple-reproducing church. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Guys, I hope you can tell I'm as serious about this as anything I've preached or anything I've had on my heart in a long time. We've got to change. You've got to change starting your life to where Jesus is most important. And if you don't know what it means to be a disciple, if you need help being a disciple, if you'll come see some of the staff, we will try our best 
to line up appointments with you ourselves or with somebody else in our church that that's mature in their faith to help disciple you not just so you can go and feel good about yourself that you're a disciple but to get you to the point that you can disciple somebody else and they can disciple somebody else that's the only thing that's going to save america that's the only thing that's going to save our community so where are you in this today the message is mainly to the church today if you don't know jesus and god spoke to your heart we invite you to come but the main message today has been to the church how will you respond toward being a better disciple and making disciples please stand disciple and what you're willing to do to help make disciples our church has to change in that direction or we're not really being the church that God wants us to be uh, today we have uh, David with us this is David Gillum and uh, David had uh, contacted me and asked about uh, being baptized uh, he had already trusted Christ in the past but felt like he needed to, to follow through with this uh, so today he comes uh, showing that his faith in Christ is public and by him being lowered into the water, it's a picture of him being buried and gone. And there's a new David of Christ in his life. So uh, David, in obedience to the command of Christ, and uh, based upon him telling us to baptize those who believe in him and your faith in him, in obedience to his command, I baptize you, my brother David, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Guys, because of our time this morning, I'm going to ask our ushers to be at the door to receive our regular offering. I want to point out to you, we've still got the box here at the front and some envelopes at the front for the Easter offering. If you've not had the chance to give, we're pretty close to our goal. I think Brandy announced what, what we had brought in at this point so far. Uh, and uh, we invite you to please help us over the next couple of weeks meet this goal so we can uh, uh, do what we feel like God laid upon our heart to do with our Easter offering, which is support uh, missions and missionaries all across North America, the spreading of the gospel in North America, and help Sojourner Church in Concord get kick-started and launched there, uh, serving the Lord. Uh, Father, take what we give on our way out the door now and bless it and use it. But Father, more importantly, take our lives outside the door. And Father, use our lives to be disciples for you in a way that makes disciples in this world around us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.